Welcome to the best kept secret video cast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. I'm Jay Kingley, co-founder and CEO of Centricity. Welcome to another episode of our Best Kept Secret show, where I am happy to welcome Nabil Ahmed, founder and chief strategy officer of ChangeForce AI. ChangeForce AI is an artificial intelligence-based change management software that helps large enterprises better align everyone towards achieving business transformation and initiatives faster. He's based in New York City. Welcome to the show, Nabil. Thank you, Jay, and uh, thanks for letting me in on the secret. And I uh, look forward to our next uh, few moments together and, and sharing some insight. Well, let's talk about change. Change is something that I think we all deal with on a everyday basis. We are bombarded by the need to change, whether it's ourselves or our businesses. There is a massive personal improvement and self-change industry out there. There is so much content, programs, you name it, but yet we all struggle with it. But that's on the personal side. I want to focus on how do you implement change at an organizational level. And it seems to me that there isn't a lot of great information out there on how you effectively and efficiently get organizations to change. And yet the ability to change over time is critical to the long-term viability any company out there. Nabil, why is this so hard for organizations to manage? Jay, thanks for kicking this off and really, again, I enjoy being here. And it's, it's quite shocking, actually, to be honest, where you're know you you you're, you're right on where from an individual level, we see this over and over that, oh, let's focus on you know your health, your well-being, which is great. Then at the organizational level, on that org health side, there seems to be sort of a massive drop off. And in one word, maybe to really kick us off, in my opinion, the big there's a big lack of empathy, so empathy, empathy empathy. And what I mean by that is that leaders really, they oftentimes they fail to understand that organizational change. It's less about like a blocking and tackling exercise to say, okay, I've got the perfect play or strategy written on a piece of paper. Now let's just have you employees or managers, the rest of the workforce go and execute that play. And what really happens is that, well, oftentimes employees are saying, well, Hmm, like help me better understand why I should be doing this and where this is going to be going forward. And so that's really that sort of sentiment or empathy, uh, empathizing with employees that oftentimes I feel is really the big breakdown as to why when you see these decision makers that they think that, okay, well, if you ask a leader, okay, if, if I was to tell you that, or, or are you trying to say that if I ask employees what they think about this major organizational change that will probably imp, uh, impact many parts of my job, that maybe getting their input on it maybe may result in them more likely be, to be able to implement and sort of drive that change forward, that that will work? And absolutely, right? And so 
but oftentimes what really happens is leaders go, uh, they say, all right, we're going to do a change. We are going to do something based on gut. And half the time, honestly, that happens. And then they're sitting there wondering and sort of looking at, you know, a few years later, why something didn't happen. And so, again, in quick summary, empathy or lack thereof is the big reason why organizations fail to, to really change or be successful at it. Nabil, I think this derives from how most companies do their strategic planning process. So normally strategic planning is done mm -hmm. by a very small team of senior executives. And they're looking at their external environment, they're looking at their internal capabilities. Mm -hmm. It's the old SWOT type, uh, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats right. analysis. And they come up with the answer. And of course, it's not a good strategy if it's just to maintain the status quo. So it implies change. And it almost seems like at that point, the executives who really drove the strategist turn around to the line executives and say, all right, make it happen. We're done. We're on to the next uh, planning cycle already. And what I'm hearing you tell me is that has a very low success rate. Correct. Yes. And so it's it, it's really interesting, like the sort of top down approach consistently is used and to your point, consistently fails. And but oftentimes for executives, they think, oh, you know what, I've done my job and this is the way that it's sort of going to be done. And if there's uh, anything that happens as a result of failure, perhaps it's not on me. Right. But the the reality is, is that it, it, it is and it should be on them because uh, they're they're failing to sort of break through the different layers of the organization and perhaps look at it in an alternate way to say, all right, well, maybe we should look at a, a bottom up type of growth. And really, there's there's two issues uh, that that in, that we see or I see as to why leaders and organizations fail to change. The number one reason is if you take nothing else from, from our you know, best kept secret today is speed, is that speed kills all types of change. So if you think about COVID, right, we're about less than two years or so into it, 20 months or so, is that if an organization was reacting to COVID today, they would be more than likely out of business. Like if they're still requiring their employees to be in person and in a variety of other things is that their, your ability to change quickly is a very important uh, process of that. And, you know, the, of course, there's many organizations over the past several years, you know, the, the, the Blackberries, the, the Blockbusters, who saw a change coming, but they were too slow to react. And by the time that they reacted, then, well, you know, now they're sort of in the, the change failure graveyard, as I call it. And so the other big issue is that organizations are oftentimes running multiple changes at once. So again, think last year, there was COVID, right? Oh, okay, everything's uh, changing. We need to re figure out what's happening with our workforce, uh, you know, a new strategy there. Then there was, at least in the US, there was a big emphasis on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So then organizations were like, I don't have a DEI strategy. What do I need to do there? So they had multiple irons in the fire around change. And that's just on on top of what they may have already been doing. Oh, we need to do a digital transformation. We need to upskill or reskill our employees. So typically organizations, my point is, is they have multiple things going on at once and they have a, a, a great lack of ability to, to uh, implement those change quickly. So that's number one. And then number two is that, okay, let's say that our organization can uh, change quickly, but what if they only get one to 5% of their employee population bought into that change? And that's the, the other big issue. So number one is speed. And number two is lack of employee buy-in. They say, all right, well, we've, we've changed, but no one's really come with us. 
well, that's not helpful. And so then, you know, the, the, the question is, is of course, you know, what can we do about that? And so, you know, look forward to exploring those two uh, a bit more around how to speed up change and how to get more employees bought in. Well, let's go there right now. So you, you've clearly articulated, I think, the, the, the key issues around why these change initiatives don't tend to deliver the results that the top executive levels are expecting. So how should they be thinking about doing this the right way? Sure. And, you know, there's 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 really a couple of things uh, about it. One is, you know, in addition to our, how do we speed up change and get more employees bought in? There's oftentimes there's, you know, I would call it sort of like the numbers sort of perspective, but then there's also the emotional appeal to them. And so the question then becomes is, you know, can you start to empower uh, these decision makers to make more data informed type of decisions on helping them what to do next, right? And so uh, does that help to increase their confidence around allocating for their budget? Uh, Does it help them to uh, better identify populations of people who are interested and can help them drive that change forward? And so that's a a big area. And then, you know, other times there's sort of um, hard numbers, you know, so to speak, where, you know, can you improve adoption of change maybe from a couple percent to, you know, I've seen a variety of organizations do it 30, 40 percent, you know, sort of overall. Uh, Also, can you help them to align more towards the uh, achieving their objectives that they're trying to do with their change? And typically it's, you know, 15 percent and oftentimes you can get that up to 75, 80 percent. So really sort of big jumps that that you can start to see there. Uh, the other thing too is that there's off, oftentimes a big lack of uh, there's 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 a lack of connection between uh, the organizations and their strategy. And after they say, "Here's what we're going to do," to then tracking what activities that are related to that success going forward. So then the question sort of becomes: Is okay. Uh, what are the employees doing now that is that I can tie directly back to certain parts of my strategy that I can then report back to say, here's what's driving growth or here's what's driving success. And again, typically it's like a couple of percent points because uh, there's there's oftentimes too many things happening. Again, too many irons in the fire around what organizations are trying to do, but it's that sort of like mashup connection. And so the other big thing that I've seen is that if they're able to do it well, they can go from two to three percent to about. 400% increase in, in making that connection between what it is they're trying to achieve and what the employee workforce population is doing. And then the last one, just really overall, is you know looking at, okay, well, what are the, um, uh, typically how organizations measure performance is, okay, annually, we're going to see what those annual improvements are. Uh, but again, you know, as we talked about, is that we're looking at speed. How can you speed up change? So instead of looking at it from an annual perspective, can you do it maybe twice a year or even better quarterly? And you can start to measure change faster and you can see sort of you know, 2x improvements, say quarter over quarter, where you can where you can track the performance of what the organization is doing. Uh, so, you know, those are some, some sort of first on sort of the uh, emotional side of, you know, what uh, helps uh, leaders be more comfortable in using data or platforms to help them do that. And then, you know, obviously we just talked about some of the the, the harder metrics to, to help drive that forward. Right. Now, Nabil, let me ask you this question. Sure. I, I'm, I'm getting a sense that prioritization may be what's important here. So, yes. so, so let me give you an A versus B mm-hmm. and, and give us your take on what you find works better. So you've, you've alluded to the fact that oftentimes companies have this myriad number of change initiatives going at the same time. So are you saying that, hey, adopt 
some of these techniques, some of these approaches, and you will do better on all those change initiatives. So victory, or are you saying you can only do a certain number of change initiatives at a time, be that one, two, or three, or whatever the number is. So you've got to prioritize. Do those change initiatives to a much higher standard, including uh, speed up the process. And once you've got, you know, change number A done, then maybe you can now move on to change B or C. So what is it that we keep the same number, just do them better? Or do we have to start to say, this is what we're going to go out with now, and the others are going to have to wait until the first and number of these things get to the finish line. Sure, and thanks for posing that, um, Jay. I think the uh, maybe I'll create my own sort of uh, option C here, which I think it's really a combination of both. And, and the reason why I mention that is that oftentimes, you know, we're talking about, as you alluded to, Jay, that organizations typically have more than one transformation going on at once. Now, the caveat there is who are they involving or who is it affecting within the organization? So if they're affecting different parts of the employee population, then it's feasible and plausible and probably, you know, it's recommended that you can run those in parallel, right? And so, because not every employee is going to be involved in every single change that, you know, as a result of what the organization is doing. Some of those are organization-wide, but oftentimes, you know, or, uh, you know, we've, we've seen like, like finance transformation, that's not going to touch like certain parts of the organization. So, uh, so, so that's one answer in the sense of uh, understanding who it affects. And at the same time, too, let's say, just for argument's sake, that there are multiple transformations that affect the same employee population. Where the opportunity is and where it currently does the gap exists is that employees don't feel like they understand how they can be part of and influence and drive that change going forward. So humans are very resilient type of people is that, you know, that's, uh, they, can, they can do multiple things at once. Uh, but if they are motivated enough to be able to do it and understand how their involvement can help drive that forward, then their willingness to to participate in that and go above and beyond actually does exist. So that kind of is getting up more towards the, the first option to say, well, you can do that, but it's really how you do it. And, and, and I think that's really the breakdown of what leaders, they identify the what pretty well, right? They said, we need to do this. We need to do it now. Here's what we're going to do. The how is where they fail. And, and that's that handoff from the leaders in the organization to the managers and employees. And then depending on the uh, the, the number of uh, sort of transformations or the uh, how uh, how many there are in, in employees who are involved, that can then help influence to say, you know what? maybe we should stagger this implementation a bit, which kind of gets to your second option. We've seen that too. And so a lot of times that's actually a recommendation that we come out with is to say, okay, if you're going to do this big thing, you probably want to start with a target sort of smaller group first and then build up a few what we call small wins or quick wins and then roll on that going forward. And I think this is another big breakdown or sort of a misnomer that happens with uh, that we see happen with organizations a lot is to say, okay, we're just going to go directly into the heart or the you know the belly of the beast, and this is going to work, and then it's just going to permeate top down. But typically, it, it doesn't happen that way. And and a win is a win, and a a, a small win is better than a big loss, or a, a quick small win is better than a slow maybe big win five years later. So there's a lot, lots of elements in there. And, and, and thanks for bringing that question up, Jay. Let's talk about feedback for a second. Sure. You, you're making a, a big point, which I think is 
very compelling on the need to engage and listen to your employees that are being impacted by these changes that the leadership wants to affect. So in terms of feedback from employees to their management, to their leadership, does leadership encourage that on the tactical level? And I'm going to define that as, you know, and where employees might say, you know, instead of doing it like this, maybe we could do it a little bit differently in order to get a better uh, result, because I know my job probably better than you do. And I'm buying in to what you're trying to achieve and let me now contribute to that. You know, so that's one level. What about uh, the level above that, where an employees may say, I think this change that you want to do is a bad idea, or maybe you're going, you know, west, and I think we should really be going northeast. Um, how open should executives be to that, what I'll call more strategic mm-hmm. feedback from employees on change initiatives? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think they should, in, in general, they should be more open than they typically have been or or are currently. And, and the reason why I say that is that there is, it's, it's, it's a very dangerous assumption to assume that an employee population is going to do what you think is best or what you say that they that you want them to do, which is kind of how we start out, right? The sort of the the, the gut decisions, or even if they are data informed, the understanding the sentiment behind employees and willingness to change. And so, where I think the opportunity is, Jay, is that to say, okay, let's say we have this sort of big you know, diversity, equity, inclusion initiative, and that the organization has identified three, let's call them pillars, three main areas to focus on, and they know that it's too difficult to do all those at once. So they're going to focus on one specifically, let's call it inclusion to to create a more inclusive workforce, not just based off of like how we look, but also like, you know, the the thoughts that we go towards as an example. Now that let's say, okay, you know, it's Q4, we want to do that. But within the inclusion, they don't, they have five or 10 different drivers, let's say that can help to drive inclusion forward and to help make that change happen. What they may not know is which of those out of those 10, what are the three things that they should do next? So this is where I think there's the opportunity for the organization to provide, let's call it guardrails, to say, we know that we are putting all our resources forward for the next three to six months on inclusion. We're not saying diversity or equity is less important, but we have to do one thing at a time. What we don't know is within that, and that's where we need your help, employees, is to say, help us figure out which ones we should do first that will result in the highest likelihood of change and the most people involved. So that's where I think the opportunity is, is that where the leaders can have, you know, which is uh, sort of the one of the, the, the best kept secrets for them is the perceived level of control, right? They still want to be in control of their strategy, but giving up part of the details, or not giving up, but including and uh, it, you know, including the employee population to help them drive and see that success forward. And so put another way, and then I'll pause after this, is that if you ask a leader, if I could tell you who in your organization uh, that there are people in your organization who want to make your strategy a success that you didn't know about before, would you be interested in connecting with them? And 100% of them will say yes, right? It's like, oh, that, that's great. So this is a way that they can do that and, and, and start to see that success drive forward. So my last question mm-hmm. for our 
first part of our discussion is, as someone Nabil, who's an, an expert in this area, if you're talking to an executive in, in, a, in a larger enterprise who is now tasked with implementing a major change initiative, mm -hmm. what are the sort of more tactical things that you would be recommending that executive needs to uh, execute in order to increase the chances of success. Sure, and thanks for that, Jay. And really, I think there's sort of five overall kind of key steps. One is that they have to have some sort of clear transformation strategy or initiative that really ties the themes of what they're trying to measure to the outcomes that they want to, to drive forward. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to come up with it on their own. You know, oftentimes, you know, we're seeing, and I've used the, the DEI example, there's also ESG, environmental social governance, where these sort of hot button, top, hot topic issues of the present day, they don't need to come up with their own, but they need to have one that they can leverage. So that's definitely step one. And then uh, the next step is really, how can we better understand or assess their own organization's readiness for change? And so this is, again, the empathy part to really understand, okay, and this ties into the next step is finding, as I mentioned earlier, the change agents, people who are willing and to, to help drive that change forward. So again, sort of the first three are have the strategy, uh, assess or understand your organization's willingness to change. Then the next layer down and the third step is to uh, find change agents who can help sort of drive that change forward. And then there's two more steps after that is then, okay, now that we've, we have all this information, can we decide what to do next based on some of these factors? Where are employees most motivated to, uh, to drive that change? Uh, what's the highest priority in relation to the organization? But then also, uh, where are things aligned between the leaders and the workforce and the managers to drive that? So that's the fourth one. And then the last one, which is really important, and oftentimes uh, the organizations forget to do this, is sort of close the feedback loop so, you know, uh, and be more transparent into the decisions that they're making, why they're making it, and giving employees a sort of peek into uh, the next layer down of results or sentiment that, that helped to inform that decision that they made. Uh, so, you know, put another way is that we see this all the time in, in organizations, a pulse survey, an employee engagement survey. It's like, let's ask, ask, ask things from employees. And maybe we'll get back to you if we find something us, the organization likes that we want to cherry pick and, and send back to the organization. And then they wonder why, like, there's, you know, 10% uh, completion rate of employees uh, like these pulse surveys or employee engagement. So in summary, real quick. So first is have a clear transformation strategy. Uh, two is assess the organization's uh, uh, readiness to change. Three is find change agents. Four is uh, based off the data, decide to what to do next based off of alignment, greatest buy-in. And then the last one is uh, you know, get transparency into what's really working and what's not based off the data. The most astounding thing I find when it comes to organizational change, it's not just the average companies mm -hmm. that are struggling. Some of the most successful companies out there, you know, whether it be big tech, you read about all the challenges that Google and Apple mm -hmm. and Facebook are having at trying to get their organizations behind change and the revolts. You see it in life sciences. Some of the our best companies, our top industries are really struggling with this critical issue of change. So on that note, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back to learn a bit more about Nabil. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? 
Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 01 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn or any other social media, or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more. Welcome back. Let's find out a bit more about Nabil. Nabil, let me start with, talk to me about ChangeForce AI. What are the pain points that you're solving for your target clients and why do they need you to get rid of the pain? Sure. Thanks for that, Jay. And so, but, you know, I had come from sort of the consulting world and also, you know, working with external clients and also working inside enterprise organizations. So over the years, I've seen this problem consistently over and over is that the organizations are good at identifying change and then it consistently fails. It doesn't matter what industry, doesn't matter what size, is that this is a common thing. And so for me, fortunately, with my background, I've you know, sort of past software developer, uh, you know, work in the, the um, variety of organizations, but then I also have sort of you know, an education degree. And so that's, you know, you've heard us talk so far about some understanding sentiment and kind of the psychology around what drives people to do or not do things from a human behavior perspective. So so that's really how I sort of came forward and, and was co-founder of changeforce.ai. It was to help solve these pain points. And so what those are is that time and again, organizations, they just don't know which parts of their strategy aren't working and why. Now, they have a very nice laminated you know, like a piece of paper that they carry around everywhere in a binder. And it's, you know, it's, it's beautifully organized. And this is, hey, here's my strategy. It's like, okay, this is great. Uh, which parts of this do you know aren't working and why? Like that next layer down, they just can't answer consistently. So that's really where, that's the, the real main pain point of what we're trying to solve. And so the, the, the other thing is, again, the speed side to say, okay, we have so many parts of our strategy. It's usually not uh, an easy thing. You know, there's multiple areas and, and there's things that have cross dependency. So it's like, what part should we focus on now? That's the other thing. The other pain point is to say, can we drive and influence what you focus on next based off of what employees are thinking to help you drive that change forward? Uh, so that's another one. And then, you know, the, the other thing too, really, is that, and as we mentioned, the low employee buy-in, how do you get more employees bought in to help to mobilize the organization? Because again, it's taking too long and there's too few employees who are bought in. So those are really the pain points that we're looking to solve is figuring out which parts of their strategy they, they should focus on now that will result in faster change and more employees bought in. There's a lot of, uh, consultants out there mm -hmm. that are saying, hey, we deal with organizational change initiatives mm -hmm. um, to, I think, clients that don't have your level of expertise, the challenges, sometimes they, they sort of all sound pretty similar yes. because we don't have that knowledge to right. discriminate. So I like to focus on a little bit of a different question, sure. which is what makes you and Change Force AI 
great at what you do. Yeah, and and thanks for that, Jay. And you know, I, oftentimes I find this a tough thing, sort of talking about myself, but uh, I'll, I'll give it a go here. You know, as I mentioned, I have an education background, so I like to approach things through an education journey. And what I mean by that is that it's very rarely talking about, well, buy this product, use this service here or there. Let's say, let's come to a common understanding on what we feel or see the issues are. And again, you know, I think we've talked about it at length already around. It takes too long for orgs to change, and there's there's too few employees bought in. And if we can understand what we can do to change that, then if we can come to a common point there, then I think that is very, very powerful. And sort of outside of sort of my full-time day job with Changeforce AI is that uh, I teach sort of graduate-level classes at NYU and Columbia, and I've done that for several years. So it's always – the reason why I mention that is it's always informed the perspective that I've taken for the professional side. Again, as I mentioned, sort of understanding the psychology of, of human behavior and like how people learn and how you can use some of those nuggets to apply to software to manage things as as what we call at scale. And so, you know, the, maybe taking the next layer down, I think Jay, you were talking about, like, it sounds like many people do this, right? And and one of the things that we found the consultants or, you know, a variety of consulting companies is they often package their framework or their services, which is what they're known for selling, right? Their bread and butter. And they say, oh, we have software to help do it. The key difference that we've seen is that it's a package deal is that, well, if you just want software to, but to be able to use your own strategy, a consulting firm, most of these sort of big box ones, management consulting, they're not the ones for you because their software is really a means to an end to selling services and getting in for high engagements or things like that. And for us, we're really viewing ourselves as really like the middleware to say, you know what, let's take what, you know, what you know you're good at and let's use what you know that you perhaps need some help in and let's sort of mesh that together. So in summary, what I think is, um, uh, at least for me, what I feel like I, I, I try to be good at is taking these disparate areas of understanding what's happening from the business side, uh, taking technology, but then driving that people or human factor. And if it's a Venn diagram of those three, then focusing on the intersection of those and saying, how can we solve this in one simple way? You've alluded to the, the educational background that you have and some of the things you have done in your career. Mm -hmm. And I would encourage everybody to go to your LinkedIn page and there's a lot more detail on what you have done and the qualifications that you have. I'm interested though in learning more about the why you do what you do. So here's my question. What has happened, you know, whether it's in your personal life or in your professional life that you think would best explain why you're doing what you're doing with changeforce.ai. Sure. Thanks for that, Jay. And now I realize why this you call it the best kept secret, because I feel like this is probably really the, the, the best kept secret, which uh, which I'm happy to share because I, I, I think we should uh, you know be open about this is that, you know, it's really interesting is that when I was in high school and college, so I grew up in Oklahoma City, which is, you know, basically center of you know, middle America. And the reason why I mentioned that is for for a variety of reasons that I learned as I started taking these jobs is they have a lot of call centers, you know, customer service call centers. So, you know, if your phone's broken and you call, oftentimes it's in Oklahoma City, you know, rental cars, they have TVs, you know, all the different industries there. So I worked at, at a variety of these jobs in high school and college. It was great. 
you know, to help with my people skills and things like that. But there was one that I had, I was early in my years in college and I realized I'm aging myself here, but we'll, we'll go for it anyways, is I work technical support for gateway computers. So if you remember gateway, this was the, the, the cow box, right? That's what they were known for. You know, it was the black and white spotted box uh, that they had. And so the reason why I mentioned this is that I would go through and I have a decent technical background, but I went through my training for two weeks and it was, I mean, hardcore, like all the guys in there. And I say guys specifically, cause it was all guys, you know, it was just, it's all males, no women, which is a story for another day. And, you know, they were like, okay, let's take apart a computer. Let's do all these crazy things. And I realized very quickly that everyone else knew from a technical perspective, pretty much more than me. Right. And, and you know, I could hold my own, but I mean, these people were building computers in their sleep. So what happened then is that when we got on the phones, because back then you couldn't troubleshoot through the computer, again, aging myself here. So you would just do everything you know, verbally through the phone. And people who tend, tended to call didn't know much about, about computers, which is why they were calling. So what I found out, Jay, is that I was able to solve the problems, the technical problems, significantly better and faster and quicker and to a higher level of satisfaction than pretty much anyone else in, in the group that I had come in training with. And the reason why, it wasn't because of technical knowledge, because they definitely knew more than me. It was their ability to understand and empathize, getting back to how we started out this conversation, to empathize and, and put yourself in the shoes of the person on the other end of the phone and really help to see them as a human and start to uh, start to talk to them in a respectful way to help them and work together to come to a solution for a problem. And that's where I saw, you know, temper flare ups from other people like, how come they don't know how to do this? Well, it's because they've never opened a computer before. And so you know, let's understand that. So to me, that's really like my best kept secret is that since then, and I'm glad it happened to me early on, that informed what I have done ever since then in many ways to say, you know what, you don't need to be so, have so much domain level knowledge in one area. If you can combine it in novel and interesting ways and put a few of those together, then that again, intersection of that Venn diagram, which would, you would be in the middle of, is essentially unstoppable because you've picked a couple of things and you, you've you've uh, you've matched it up in in a very unique way that provides value. So that's that's my best kept secret. As they say, from the humblest of beginnings. <laughs> Indeed. You know, we we talked today about an issue, and, and I don't know if there's a a bigger issue mm -hmm. where the gap between what you desire and what you're realizing is any larger than what you would find in organizational change efforts. I'm sure we've got listeners that are interested in continuing the discussion with you. How best should they reach out to you? Sure, uh, the, the, the best two ways, Jay, are LinkedIn and or just direct email in the beal at changeforce.ai. And I definitely reference that um, you, uh, you've listened to this podcast, Best Kept Secret, and I'll be happy to engage. And we'll put that uh, contact info on the LinkedIn address in our show notes, make it easy for people. Now, Nabil, before we wrap up, you have really, I think, enlightened so many of us as to a different and better way to think about change initiatives. And for many shows, that would be more than enough, but it isn't more than enough for this show. I'm going to put you on the spot. I want you to give our listeners even more value. So what can you do for them in terms of a little gift or offering 
just to sweeten the pot. Yeah, no, thanks. And, uh, and, and thanks for asking that, Jay. And, you know, I feel that, uh, as I just mentioned in a couple of the previous answers, I have a big education background. Uh, I, I love sort of learning for the sake of it, either as a teacher or a student. And I'd be happy to share with you some thought leadership papers that I have co-authored in this space around change, which is really just, you know, getting us to get on the same page and better understand the importance of it. And so feel free to email me or send me uh, a note through LinkedIn and make sure to reference uh, that um, the both the thought leadership paper as well as that you heard it through the Best Kept uh, Secret Show. And I'll be happy to uh, to send that to you as a nice sweetener of the pot. Nabil, you really have, I think, done everybody a tremendous service through our uh, discussion day. I would just encourage the people who are listening, uh, the first step in getting to where you need to be is to reach out uh, and ask for help. Uh, please, uh, let's keep Nabil's inbox full with uh, great outreach and questions. So, Nabil, thank you so much for being on the Best Kept Secret Show. To our audience, continue to crush it out there. Until next time.